2016. Can you imagine that? Uh, it just seems to me like yesterday we rang in the turn of the century. And you remember the, when Y2K was going to knock out all the computers and the electrical grids and we were all going to go back to the Middle Ages? Yeah, we're, we've gotten past it. 2016 already. We're starting a new series this morning. And our theme and our title for the series are from Philippians chapter 1. That's where our reading is today. If you're physically able, would you stand as we read there in Philippians chapter 1. And we'll start in verse number 25 here this morning. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. Our first message of the year is entitled Together in Purpose, and our theme is there in verse number 27, where it says, Together for the faith. And let's pray. Father, would you bless thou as we develop this theme and we develop this passage for this year, for this people. And we thank you for uh, your purpose for our lives. We thank you for your spirit enabling us to do your purpose for our lives. And so we pray that we would do what you've called us to do as a church this year, as we love God, as we grow together, and as we serve others in this community. Where we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Would you listen to this song? All right. This next song is a song like uh, that I'd like to actually do more throughout this year. But uh, you might have heard it. It's called Open Up the Heavens. We've waited for the stay. Gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire, will burn our hearts with truth. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason we're singing. Open up the heavens, we want to see. Presence in this place, your glory on our face. We're looking to the sky, descending like a cloud. You're standing with us now, Lord. Unveil our eyes. You're the reason we're here, you're 
the reason we're singing. Open up the heavens, we want to see you. Open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart, filling every part of our praise. Open up the heavens, we want to see you. Open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart, filling every part of our Show us your glory, show us, show us your power, show us, show us your glory, Lord. Show us, show us your glory, show us, show us your power, show us, show us your glory, Lord. Open up the heavens, we want to see you. Open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart. Filling every part of our praise. Open up the heavens, we want to see you. Open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart. Amen. Love that song. We've had a, a great time uh, getting to know Aaron and Melissa even more this last week. And I know many of you are looking forward to uh, getting to be with them and life group settings and fellowship and having them to your house for dinner. And uh, we had a dinner at our house last night for a few families. And, and we played a, a game where you have to draw and then you have to guess what it is. And one of the things I appreciate about Aaron is that he is about similar to me in drawing skills. And uh, he, he did have, uh, he had a vibe though. Scott Watanabe was sitting next to him in the game. And they kind of had this vibe where they understood each other's drawings. And everybody else looked at it as like Egyptian hieroglyphics, right? But they kind of had that thing going. And then I had the same thing with uh, Shane on my side, Shane Cornwall, where I could draw something and he knew what it was. And for the first time in my life, I felt like Van Gogh. Because normally when I draw stuff, my wife, the only word she ever says is, huh? That's the only word that she can say about my drawing. So I was really encouraged by that fellowship last night. So thank you, and I appreciate that. But one of the ways that we understand culture change, and you're in 2016, it's even hard for me to remember to say it, is uh, to talk about technology, and specifically talk about phones, right? Nowadays, eight-year-olds have their own high-tech gizmo called a phone, and with it, they can run the space station, right? And they could do just about anything with it. But if you go back a generation, there were no smartphones. There were flip phones, cell phones, and you remember how you pull out the little antenna at the top? so that you could get good reception, or you had to move to different places and hold it up. 
Um, and speaking of cell phones, it's just perfect timing on that. Thank you so much. And I knew that that would happen, so I was just kind of going through this. But if you go back uh, to that time, another de decade, cell phones were rare. And they were not only rare, but they were also huge, like massive in size. Like they weighed about four pounds. And if you carried one in your pocket, it made your pants like sag way down. Um, and they were that rare. I dare you teenagers to go back and look up pictures of cell phones from 1990, the year I graduated from high school. They were like boats, so they're huge. But if you go back from there with phones, this is weird, and I know you guys aren't going to believe this, but they were actually, there was a time where they had phones that plugged into a wall at your house, right? <laughs> it, it really, it's true. Um, just to draw out a little poll, how many of you guys still have a plug-in house phone at your house? Okay, okay, maybe almost half. Um, and there were touch-tone phones, and they made a little sound when you dialed. But before that, and so this is going way back, there were rotary phones, and where you had to actually ring in every number on the dial, you had to go around to it. And uh, like if you had all nines in your number, it just took forever to to ring in the number. But if you go back even before that, um, there were phone numbers, and this is crazy, that only had four digits in them. And that's all you had to remember, right? Just like 9237, that was the number. Um, how many remember that time period? Okay, yep. And before that, oh, this is going even further back, there were party lines with multiple houses on the same phone line. Okay, how many of you lived through that, right? Okay. And before that, now this is going way back, Alexander Graham Bell <laughs> was credited with the first patent on the talking telegraph, and this is in 1876. And I'm thinking probably nobody was around for that from this crowd. But think about if our culture has transformed on this one item that much in 140 years, can you imagine how vastly different our culture is in 2016 from New Testament times? It's just vastly different from how they lived and how they interacted and how they communicated. And it Here's what I love about the Word of God, though. The principles given in the old black book are as alive and as fresh as they've ever been, and they still work in individuals and families and in local churches just like this one. And so our series is Together for the Faith. And it's, it's not something we came up with. It's right here from Philippians 1.27. Together for the Faith, four words and we're going to take that phrase today in this opening session and speak on that phrase as we talk about together in purpose. And let's break down the phrase. We begin with a fitting connection. A fitting connection. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. Together is the first word here. And you see there in verse number 27 that it says to stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together. Together. I don't know if you've ever been sitting in a waiting room or standing in an elevator or hanging out in a coffee shop, and you struck up a conversation with a stranger. And all of a sudden, there's a connection over some topic. 
And you're discussing double-pointed needles and Kitchener stitches and reverse stocknet stitches because you both have an interest in knitting. And some of you are looking at me like, did you really know those terms? And uh, actually, I didn't. I googled knitting terms. And that's how I knew those. But how many of you actually know what a stocknet stitching is? There's two people. This is really good. Three people. Um, it's good work. So we've really made that work. Maybe you find yourself talking about an Albright knot or a false cast as you discuss the best fly fishing streams where you've been. Fly fishing. Everybody fly fishermen? Okay, got a few of those out there. We're getting closer, right? We're from two to four on that one. Uh, but it's interesting. You don't even know the person's name, but you can have a lengthy conversation because you both have the same hobby. Or you both root for the same team. Or the guy just walked in with a marine patch on his hat. Or you see a veteran's badge or sticker. Or your kids are the same age, playing there in the play area. How is it that we can have an instant relationship with an individual that we don't even know their name, they may be from another people group, could be that they're from an entirely different culture. And the way that we would know that we would be able to do that is there would have to be something in common. There would have to be something or someone that draws us together. And you know, if our common ground is in Jesus Christ, we can have a fitting connection. I've met people from all over the world who are believers in Christ and have been able to have an instant camaraderie and fellowship with them. Uh, so many times I've walked into services and buildings in India and met people who cannot speak a word of English and I cannot speak a word of Indian and we stand there and smile at each other like nobody's business. And it is just the presence of the Lord is in it. The fellowship of the gospel is in it. Why? Because there's a unity in Jesus Christ. There's a unity because he died on the cross for all of us. And I know this is news to a lot of Americans, but Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. He didn't just die for the Americans. He died for all of us. And so often we get wrapped up too much in ourselves and our projects and, and what we think life's purpose is to be. And there's a, there's a fitting connection in Christ. And the local church is such a unique thing because here we have people in this room who have come together today with many different personalities, many different opinions, many different lifestyles, but we have one Lord and He alone brings us together into a body of believers that can actually do something for the sake of the gospel. We have people in this room who have different giftedness, different abilities, different strengths, different weaknesses. Some of you are far out crazy people. And some of you, if you get up off the couch, it's a rare thing. I mean, it's just your, that's just who you are. And there's nothing wrong with either one of you. In Christ, though, we have this connection. And it's so interesting to me how the connection in Christ supersedes age. 
It supersedes stage of life. It supersedes how big your family is. And uh, this connection in Christ is such a rare, wonderful thing. And it only happens in the establishment of the local church. It only happens in this unique thing that Jesus started when he called his disciples together to form the first local church. And in this community, we have a fitting connection. And so we're together. But then we see that next word in the phrase. So we're together, but then we're four. And so not only a fitting connection, but a for-something cause. A for-something cause. It's clear in Scripture that there are some lines that we should draw on the sand. There are some causes that we should definitely be against. Do you know what Jesus said? He said that his disciples would be known for their love toward each other. They would be known for something. And when it comes to Christianity in 2016, the world likes to define the narrative when it comes to Christians. And when they think of Christians and the media portrays Christians, oh, those are the people who blow up abortion clinics. Right? When I don't know of any Christian who's ever blown up an abortion clinic. I know of some really deranged people who've done some horrific things. But I don't know of any Christian that's ever walked up to me. In fact, it's never happened. No Christian's ever come up to me and said, you know what? We need to do something about those abortion people here in our city. We need to go blow up a building. Never happened. Christians are portrayed a certain way, but that's not who we are. We, we believe that Jesus died for everyone, including abortion doctors. We believe that Jesus died for everyone, including people who back abortion doctors. And so Christians were for something, not as much against it, but, but people, uh, they, they paint us with this wide brush. Oh, they're the ones against drunkenness. They're the ones against adultery. They're the ones against homosexuality. They're just against everything. You know who the people usually are that say that? The people who have extremely guilty consciences. The ones who say, well, you Christians just judge everybody. They're usually the ones who judge themselves as sinners because they know that God has judged us all as sinners. Jesus was labeled. You remember this. They painted him with a wide brush. They generalized. They said things about him. And Jesus said that we'd be labeled too. But you know, we don't have to allow the world to define the narrative on us. Because we should be known more for what we are for than what we're against. We are for souls establishing a relationship with their creator. We are for the blind finding their sight. We're for the brokenhearted being healed. We are for the afflicted and the oppressed finding redemption and relief. You know, we are for marriages that are a taste of what heaven will be. We're for families that pray together and rejoice in the Lord and accomplish God's purpose for their lives. We're for young people growing up with a desire to do whatever God wants them to do with their lives and not to try to possess it for themselves. We're for strong men of faith who will lead others in Christ. 
We're for godly women who are in love with Jesus Christ and aren't carried about by emotions or false doctrines. We're for a lot of things, scripturally, doctrinally, spiritually. And we should have a for-something cause. And when we come together as believers, we don't come together to be against things as much as we are to be for things. And, and when we start a new year, it's always good to remind ourselves of that. Because this year, I don't know if you guys caught this, but it's 2016, the election year. And there are going to be a lot of things and people and causes that they want us to buy into to be against. But you know, I figured this out a long time ago. Eternity is a lot bigger than who the next president is. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be good citizens. We should. We should be involved. We should vote. We should choose wise candidates. And, and we should back the right people. But don't get so wrapped up in the political landscape and what you're against this year that you forget to be for Jesus Christ. And you get to be for loving others. You forget to be for the purposes that he's established. So we ought to be a for-something people. But then I want you to notice this third word. So as you go from there, we together, for, and then the simple little three-letter word that we use all the time, the. Together for the. You say, Pastor, I've never heard anyone preach a message on the word the. Well, you came to the right place today. It's going to happen right here. We're going to take the word the. I want to show you something here in this verse, Philippians 1.27 again. Look what it says. Only let your conversation or your lifestyle be as it becometh. Now look at this. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? It doesn't say as it becometh a gospel of Christ. It says as it becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look back up in this passage. Look what he said in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. And if you look at Paul's writings to all of these local churches in the first century, he was talking about not a gospel. He's talking about the gospel. He said, if I come, or if an angel of he from heaven comes and preaches unto you another gospel than Jesus Christ and him crucified, let him be accursed. Do you know that is the strongest word in the Bible? It is the strongest curse word available in Koine Greek, to be accursed. And in fact, the word is, is used in the Old Testament in, in Daniel chapter 9 when it prophesied that a heathen pagan king would come into Jerusalem and he would go not in, only into the Jewish temple and go through the Gentile courtyard into the Jewish temple, but he would go further and he would go all the way into the temple and he would go into where the altar of incense is and he would walk past the altar of incense into the holy place where only the priests could go. And he would walk past the veil 
into the place called the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go once a year. And on that very altar, on the mercy seat, he would sacrifice a pig. I don't know if you know Jewish culture, but that is as accursed as it could possibly get. And the word was anathema. Anathema. And Paul says to us that if we preach any other gospel than Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that He's the only way to salvation, that we've missed the whole thing and we have become accursed. And if we invite everybody in and say Christianity is a big tent and as long as you believe in something, you fit in, then we've gone against the mandate of the Scripture. Because we're not called to preach a gospel we're called to preach the gospel. And so the or the is a big word here. And it's this third part of our message, a focused clarity. A focused clarity. We don't strive together for a faith. It says in Philippians 1.27, we strive together for the faith. To stand fast in one spirit with one mind is attainable only because we're giving out the gospel of Christ. And we look at that, we think, well, what, do, what is it that makes you Christians think that you're exclusive? Why is it that Christian pastors stand up and say, well, this gospel is the only gospel and it's the only way to heaven? You know why we say that? Because that's what Jesus said. He, he said it clearly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice all the these. The, 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 right there. I am the, I am the, I am the, 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 the. Jesus said it's exclusive. And that's why we say it's exclusive. And the ministers aren't what make the gospel exclusive. It is exclusive entirely because of the message. And that message is Jesus Christ. So our togetherness is centered in Christ. And over these next weeks, we're going to cover topics like together in life, together in worship, together in growth, together in ministry. But you know, without Christ, those topics are empty. Without Christ, there's absolutely no reason for us to come together in the first place. And so we have this focused clarity together for thee. Then we want to spend a few minutes on faith. Because it's a foundational creed, and that's the last part of our message this morning. It's a foundational creed. Together for the faith. Jesus is not only our focus, he's the foundation of our doctrine. And without faith in Jesus Christ, it's impossible to obtain reconciliation with God. It's impossible to have peace with the Father. That's why the Christian faith, once delivered to the saints, is worth the stand that we must take. And I hope in 2016 that Christ will be the foundation of your life every hour of every day. And that you won't just play the God card on Sunday mornings. You're like, oh yeah, it's Sunday. Are we going to church today? Oh yeah, maybe we should go to church today. Well, we should go. We go see our friends. Maybe they'll have donuts today. And maybe, uh, maybe we could get a cappuccino down there. 
We play the God card, and then we get up on Monday, oh, it's back to my life again. You know, we have to allow Jesus to be the foundation of our life. This is a Bible term, without ceasing. Without ceasing, where we never take him off the throne of our lives. Where it's not I, but Christ who lives in me. And we have to allow Jesus to do that. You know, if you're a child of God, the Bible says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone of your life and of your family, of this local church. But when we take over for him and we become our own master, we limit his work. And so this year we've got some things as a church that we're focused on, that we're doing to help us to live this motto or this purpose together for the faith. Tonight at 5.30 I'm going to be laying out some biblical strategies for having a personal daily walk with God. What those private disciplines in our lives should be. And I hope you'll be here. It's an important service. The first Sunday night of the year. Getting off to a good start. But you know, after this Sunday night, we're changing some things on Sunday nights. And we're getting some different groups involved on Sunday nights that, that maybe haven't gotten involved before. And we're starting next Sunday night with the five-week series just for ladies and ladies, I know that life's busy. I know you got kids, grandkids, you've got all sorts of things going on. Some of you work. And it's, it's a busy life. And so we're not asking you to commit to being here every Sunday night for the whole year. We're asking if you could commit to being here for five weeks in a row. January 10th, January 17th, January 24th, January 31st, and February 7th. That's it. Five Sunday nights in a row for a ladies' Bible study that we believe will kick the year off with that right emphasis. Now, February 14th, we have Public Servants Day. We're going to serve them a, a nice meal and are looking forward to interacting with our public servants and wearing our Love Works t-shirts. And then February 21st, we'll start into a four-week Sunday night series just for couples. And we're going to be doing things like that throughout the year to give an emphasis to different groups. Uh, there's going to be a series for parents during the year. And looking forward to that. There's going to be a men's series in June that we'll do on Sunday nights. We've got several things lined up in a different way than we've done them before. Because we really want to help you. And, and we want to be helpful to families this year on Sunday nights. On Wednesday nights, I hope that you will take advantage of our midweek ministries this year. Because we have them for every age. Now, it starts all the way down in Cubbies. <laughs> Our daughter's favorite song, is she sings every day, she's two, and uh, technically she's probably not supposed to be in Cubbies, but Mrs. Webb has been kind enough to allow her in. And she sings the Cubby song to us every day. We are a wanna Cubbies, we're happy all day long. We know that Jesus loves us, that's why we sing a song. We help because we're happy, we jump and shout for joy, for Jesus is a friend to us, he loves each coil and boy. She sings it incessantly. And she, every day, she says, Daddy, can you get me my Cubbies book? She wants her Cubbies book because she wants to new, learn new verses. No one has told her that she can't read yet. Okay, she's, she's still under the impression that she can read just fine. And she knows what the verses say. And she's got it all figured out. So, Awanas 
starting with three-year-olds and all the way up through fifth grade is every Wednesday night during the school year. And we have committed, dedicated servants of God who are over there with those kids. And then we have youth group, and, and I'm excited that our youth group is, is vibrant and growing in Christ. And young people, you should invite your friends starting this first Wednesday of the year because Aaron's going to come and do worship sets with you on Wednesday night. And he's going to be singing with you, and Melissa's going to be involved, and it's going to be a really neat time over in youth group. For adults, we have adult Bible study right in this room. It's my favorite teaching time of the week. And we're in a series that we've been in for several years now called Forgotten Bible Stories. And we're still going to be in that. We also have one-on-one discipleship in several places on the campus. People working with a discipler through a discipleship book. And we're encouraged by what the Lord's doing on that. And so we, we have some teaching things that we're excited about this year where we're working together for the faith. Sunday mornings at 9.45, we have life groups. And uh, I don't talk as often as I, sh- as I should about our life groups. We have a teen life group over in the other building. We do still have Sunday school for, for kids who are in the uh, three-year-old through fifth grade range. Down at this end of this building, Bill and Mar- uh, Bill Van Sickle and uh, Chuck and Elaine Thomas have a life group. And we have a, a lot of different ages in there, but it's, it's mostly those who are probably over 45 or 50. And then right down in this hall, we have uh, Dan and Kathy Shera have a life group. And most of the ones in there tend to be uh, probably over 50 or so. And then right next door, Sid and Gail Rocklets have a life group. And theirs is for 40s and 50s and 60s, kind of that range. Uh, down at the end of the hall, Corey and Becky Webb have a life group. For those who have uh, kids and teenagers and some singles go in there, the ladies have a special life group in the library. And starting next Sunday, there's going to be a brand new life group down in our computer lab. And my wife and I are starting a group for, uh, for families with young children. And if you've never tried a life group, this is the perfect time of year to start. Right at the beginning of the year, go ahead and get locked in. And we're not asking you to commit to something huge here, Okay. If you're here this morning, check this out. I'm just going to get real technical with you. This is a Sunday morning. Okay, everybody agree with that? You buy into that statement? It's January 3rd. This is a Sunday morning. If you're here, you already came to this building on a Sunday morning. Am I with you? All we're asking you to do is to come one hour earlier to the same place that you came today. Right, that's it. That's all we're asking you to do. And the bonus is you'll have fun. And you might get donuts. Or you might get a really good coffee cake. I don't even know what the name of it was we had this morning. It's some Pinterest dish. What was the name of it, Jamie? Cinnamon baked French toast. But it had pecans in it. So technically, I'm, I'm saying it's a coffee cake. I thought it was a coffee cake. It was really good. Um, Most of the life groups, some start about 9.45, some straggle in toward about 10 o'clock. Get going on those. You say, Pastor, you're just trying to sell something. You're trying to get us to buy into something. You're exactly right. I want you to buy in because it's how we grow as a body. We grow as groups. We grow as families. 
We grow in relationships. Do you know, Centennial Baptist Church does not get one single monetary thing out of having life groups. Not a thing. It actually costs us more to have life groups. We don't get anything out of them other than the growth of God's people. And we're here together for the faith. And so set your alarm a little bit earlier on a Sunday morning. Come in and be a part of a life group. And you'll be excited that you did. You know, we have groups that do some amazing things. And by way of fellowship, having get-togethers, doing things for people who are sick or for people who have babies in their group. And we would just be thrilled for you to come and be a part of that. And I hope you'll try it. I sincerely do. And, you know, would you pray for our Sunday school teachers? Because some of them just are away from groups every week. And pray that God would give us some more of a rotation where the people who work in the other building can be more a part of groups. We want everybody to be connected here. And so God's working in some special ways this coming year. And I don't want to bog you down too much with details. Those are kind of the big ones. Is new format on Sunday night and some new life group options for you this year. Together for the faith is the purpose that brings us here. And Philippians 127 lays it out so well. Let me just finish by saying this and just kind of reiterate this. Anything that is not the foundation of God's word is sinking sand. You remember the story Jesus told in Matthew 7 about the wise man and the foolish man? And maybe there was even a song. Remember that? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Right? The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And what happened at the end of the song? The house on the sand went splat, tumbling down, gone. Okay, it is gone. Why? Because it was built on something that wasn't solid. It was built on something that was based on human opinion and human emotion. And if you gear your life or you raise your family or we try to have church on anything other than the Word of God, it is sinking sand. The attitude that our children and the next generation have toward the Bible is shaped by how we treat the Word of God. If it matters to us, it's going to matter to them. And it's not just for Sundays. It's the way we honor God's Word daily in our homes. So just putting this all together for you, at Centennial, you may be here alone today or maybe just with your husband or your wife or a friend, but we're not asking you to go at it alone. We're talking about striving together for the faith. We're talking about coming together and loving God, coming together in Christian growth, coming together and serving others and sharing Christ's love. And on this first Sunday of the year, I hope that you will commit to being together for the faith here in this body of believers. We're not asking anybody to be perfect. We're not asking anybody to carry the whole load. But we believe this according to the Bible, according to what the Holy Spirit impresses on our hearts, that if we come together with the gifts God has given us, that we can make a difference in this community this year. We really believe that that's true. And that's why we've come to this place today. And I hope that's what's on your heart this morning. And so as we pray a commitment prayer, I'm going to ask you just to bow 
at, at your seat or kneel, or if you want to come to the altar, you can. And we're just going to pray a commitment prayer on this year for every person, for every family, for this local church, that we would do what God has called us to do. And if that's the prayer of your heart, I hope you'll join me in the prayer. As you speak in your heart to God and you say, God, this is what I want for my life. I want to be committed to you. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you have spoken so plainly. We don't ever have to wonder what you meant when you said you're the way, the truth, and the life. It's so vibrant and it's so real. And the way is pointed so strongly. And so I pray, first of all, that if there are those here today without Jesus Christ, that you would convict their hearts and you would help them to seek out one of us, that we might be able to show them the way of truth from your word. Father, I pray for each individual in this place. There are people in this room who are 11 or 12 years old, and there are people in this room who are senior saints. And yet we can come together for the faith if we will commit as individuals to be in your word, to be in prayer, to be in fellowship, if we'll commit as families to follow you, not just once a week, but daily, to do what you've called us to do. And when we commit together as a local church, and would you bless us in doing your purposes for our community, help us to love you with authentic hearts of worship. Help us to grow together as the body of Christ. And help us to serve others as the hands and feet of Jesus. I pray this commitment on all of us today together. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please don't forget the announcements for this week. We have a special service tonight at 5.30. And it's, it's a service, I didn't know if I mentioned this, but about every six weeks we're going to come together as a church for a get-together Sunday night service where we're going to be singing together and having the Lord's Supper together and having missionaries in. And I hope you'll just find those opportunities and really buy in and let people know about those. And it's going to be a great year. Hope to see you tonight, everybody. Love you. Have a great day.